The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, in the past few weeks, we have heard and seen about many natural disasters in our part of the world. The hurricanes that hit Texas and Florida, now Puerto Rico, bringing lots of devastation, changing people's lives, and for some, even costing their life. But then we've also heard about earthquakes in Mexico, and the same is true there. Lots of devastation. People's lives changed. People losing their lives. Now, in California, it's probably not likely that we're going to experience a hurricane, but we are told that it's likely we will experience an earthquake and a big one. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready not only to experience that event, but are you prepared in the sense that you can minimize the destruction? And so they urge that we have, you know, all sorts of preparations made. And that already begins with the building of our structures. It's important that they be on a, a good, firm foundation, and that the foundation, the, the structure of the building itself, be so put together that it can withstand the, the shaking. Well, what may be true for experiencing hurricanes and earthquakes is also true for us experiencing a lot of other things in life, things that could shake the very foundation of our life, and by that I mean our faith in God. This month we are observing the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran and Protestant Reformation. And what that event did was bring about some earth-shaking changes. Some might say it turned the world upside down. I say it put the world back right side up especially the church, as it set us on the firm foundation of five basic truths that are referred to as the solas, the alones that were mentioned, that were taught as necessities for salvation. This month, we're going to look at each one of those solas, each one of those alones, to note how they are a foundation for our faith and life. Today, we're going to look at that first one, by grace alone. And then in the weeks ahead, we'll look at faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. Saved by grace alone. It seems like a pretty simple truth to us, one we're very familiar with as we're told to be ready for a, a big earthquake in California, we're told that it's not a matter of if, but when. It's a certainty. And so we're told, be prepared for it. Well, there's a lot of other certainties we're going to experience in life, too. In fact, you probably know the statement, right? There are two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. But I want to tell you that's not necessarily true. The two things that are certain in life are death and grace. Now the scriptures tell us throughout why there is death, why there is disease and destruction and all sorts of troubles in this world. It's because of sin. But throughout, scriptures also tell us 
how we are saved, how we are rescued from those results. It's by grace. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul as he describes God's amazing grace to save us. From Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The past few weeks, we have probably seen pictures like this and heard stories of people being rescued. Whether it was from the flood waters that they could not escape, or whether it's because they were buried under rubbles of a building. Either way, they needed to be rescued by somebody else. They could not save themselves. And that's true for us spiritually, too. We cannot save ourselves. Now, the church has not always understood or taught that correctly. Some still do teach that there must be something you have to do to earn that salvation, to work for it. Whether it is that there are some good works that must accompany your faith, or whether you have to cooperate in, with the Spirit in your conversion. What they don't understand is that it's all by grace. Now it's kind of natural, isn't it, for us to think that if you want something, you've got to work for it. If you want a good job, you've got to work in school to get the, all the knowledge and training you need. If you want to be successful at your job, you've got to work at it. And if you want to be good in whatever you do for recreation or have good relationships, you've got to work at it. That's just kind of our natural thinking. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. And so it is. It's just part of our nature that we think we have to work for something. But that's not the way it is with God's grace. The Apostle Paul highlighted that in our text. He said, it's by grace you have been saved through faith and not by works, so that no one can boast. In fact, eight times in that section in Romans, he tells us very clearly, grace 
is a gift of God. Do you remember uh, many years ago how they used to advertise the soft drink 7-Up? They called it the Uncola. They were trying to emphasize how it is not like any of the other soft drinks. It's an Uncola. It doesn't have those other characteristics. Well, we might say that grace is the ungift. Now, what do I mean by that? Oftentimes, when we receive a gift or give a gift, it's because in some way somebody is qualified for it or done something to deserve it. For example, if we give a birthday gift, it's because the person has made it to another year of life. If we give a wedding gift, it's because they've done something, they've gotten married. So sometimes our gifts aren't simply given out of love, but kind of out of an obligation, because somebody in some way has earned it. But that's not grace at all. It's an ungift. It's unearned, it's unconditional, it's unlimited. Unearned. While we might think that we have to do something to get it because that's part of our natural thinking, that's not the way it is with God. In fact, Paul states this. He says, if, if by grace, then it cannot be by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. In other words, the word grace itself totally excludes any effort or work on our part to get it. Even though we have a tendency to think there's something we must do, the Apostle Paul made it clear in our text, there's nothing we can do. He said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Well, if you're dead, you can't do anything. So you can't earn God's grace. Now, sometimes people give gifts to people because not only they've done something good, but maybe because they are good. You know, they want our favor in some way. Well, that isn't true at all for grace either. Paul says, all of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So what he's telling us, there is nothing good inside of us either that would draw anything from God to be blessed. And how well that's demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words. Here was somebody who not only rejected Christ, but who opposed Christ and worked fervently to put an end to anybody who was proclaiming Christ, putting his messengers to death. And yet Paul would say this, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul realized there was nothing good in him, and yet God loved him without any condition and loved him without any end. We might look at our life and, and see our sins and and wonder, how can God keep giving that grace after grace? In working with prisoners and, and hearing what they have done and, and how they're deserving of their sentence, yet to share with them that message that God loves them and forgives them? 
just reminds us of this truth that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. There's nothing that stops God's grace. There's nothing that redirects it or deflects it away from us. It is without end. Now, putting it another way, we might say that grace is a free gift. Have you ever heard the statement, there is no such thing as a free lunch? That's true if you think about it. Now, maybe you get a free lunch, somebody gives it to you, and it doesn't cost you anything, but it did cost that giver something. Somewhere along the line, somebody gave something up. Somebody paid to have that lunch prepared for you. And that's true with our salvation also. Grace is free to us, but it was a very costly gift. It cost God. So we like to define grace as simply us receiving God's riches, but at Christ's expense. Here's how Paul explained it. In order that the coming age, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. How did God express his kindness to us? By not punishing us, by not condemning us for our sins, but setting us free, declaring us innocent. Earlier, Paul said this, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have redemption. We're purchased, we're owned by God. Put simply, God gave up Jesus to get you. Isn't that amazing? God gave up Jesus to get you. Along with that wonderful gift of grace, however, there are two dangers we need to be aware of. And the first is, we might miss it. The writer to the Hebrews said, be sure that nobody falls short of the grace of God. In other words, that they think they must do something to get it and, real, and don't realize it's just given freely. You see, it's not our sins that are going to keep us from getting grace. It's the, it's the thought that we must do something to earn it. We could miss it. The second danger is we could twist it. That is, we might see that since there's grace, there's forgiveness freely given, what does it matter if we sin? In fact, the Apostle Jude in his short letter gave this warning that there are people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only Sovereign and Lord. In other words, they think grace gives them permission to sin because if you sin, you're just going to get more grace. Well, we won't want to fall into those dangers of missing that gift or twisting it and losing it. Rather, we simply need to accept what God teaches us. It's a gift he gives us because he loves us. And when we have it, let's guard it. Let's keep it. 
as a gift. But how do we know? How can we be sure? You know, sometimes when we get a gift or when we buy something, it comes with a guarantee. And that guarantee might say something like, well, this part or this thing is, is good for so long, you have a full guarantee or maybe it's a limited guarantee. And we might think, well, it's backed up by that manufacturer, so that must make it pretty good. Well, God's gift also comes with a guarantee. But it's not limited. It's not limited into what it covers. It's not limited as to a certain length of time. God's grace comes with a guarantee that tells us it is abundant and sufficient. It's forever and for every situation. The Apostle Paul said, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He's telling us there that God's grace is abundant. There's nothing where it doesn't work. It fits every situation. It covers every need. Yes, even those troubling times, even those difficult circumstances we find ourselves in, that maybe we don't see any end to it. The Apostle Paul experienced that, referring to it as a thorn in his flesh. He pleaded for God to take it away, but God gave him this answer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's grace, abundant and sufficient. Now, if you think about it, a guarantee that comes with some product you buy is in a way kind of admitting that there might be a flaw. Now, we might look at a product and say, well, if, if this is the manufacturer for this uh, device or this product, then it's probably pretty good because they're, they have a good reputation. But yet the guarantee is kind of an admission something could go wrong. But the guarantee of God's gift is not an admission that something could go wrong. No, instead that is God's proof for us that it's always right. That guarantee comes from God himself. Earlier I referred to uh, the foundation of, of buildings and, and oftentimes the, the ground that we put, put our houses and buildings on is set on what we would call concrete. Concrete is a mixture of three things. Cement, which is, which is that, that glue, that chemical that's needed to bind all those other elements like the sand and the gravel and then the water to activate that. And as that water evaporates, then it solidifies that mixture so it's nice and firm. Well, there are three things that also play into God's grace. The, the word in the Old Testament in the Hebrew for God's grace is really a combination of three thoughts or ideas. Strength, steadfastness, and love. It's because of God's strength 
that whatever we experience in life will not tear us down. It's because of God's steadfastness, His faithfulness, that whatever happens to us can never pull us away from Him. And it's because of God's love that we have that grace. God's grace is a guarantee to us. Now we might experience some things in life that cause us maybe to wonder, do I really have God's love? Whatever it might be, there might be sickness, there might be separation from people, maybe separation from from the necessities that we need. Maybe there'll be some shortages. Maybe there just are some struggles that we experience. And then, of course, our sin, our guilt. But the apostle reminds us what we can do when we experience those things. He says, let us approach God's throne of grace, that guarantee of his love, and get confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, he's simply saying, when you're in trouble, when you have a need, go to God's grace, and you'll find the help you need. As your pastors, we are there to help you find that grace in time of need. We've experienced when when people have been sick or in situations that are troubling or just in dealing with their sin when they are reminded of God's love, his grace for them, what joy that brings their life, despite whatever they're going through. What confidence they now have to face whatever it is they're going through. And what relief they experience when they know they are loved and forgiven. Go to God for his grace. It will strengthen you. As the Apostle Paul said, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But how do I get it? Where do you go to get this gift? Well, remember, the gift is given to you by God. Now, sometimes when we get a gift, oh, it's wrapped up so beautifully, right? Uh, Well, except when I do it, the wrapping isn't so good. But, you know, the sparkly paper and the fine bows, and wow, it's very exciting. But God's gift comes to us in a very humble, yet powerful way through the means of grace that are his word and his sacrament. Just think about it. James said, accept the word that's been humbly planted in you. It's simply through God's declaration, through a word that we know his grace. Because that word is powerful. That word is faithful. That word is perfect. In that word, God reveals himself and his promises to us. That's all we need. His word. But then God also gives us two other means by which we get that grace. Baptism. We might wonder, how can water do that? And the explanation Luther gave us is, it's not simple water, but it's water that's used at God's command and used with God's word. In baptism, God puts his name on us and makes us his child. 
In baptism, God removes our sin from us because that's what he says. Some don't believe that. Some Christian churches teach that baptism is just your way of dedicating your life to God now. But the Bible never speaks of baptism as a dedication. It only speaks of baptism as God working his grace in you. And that's also true for the Lord's Supper. There in the bread and wine, God performs a miracle. He puts the body and blood of Jesus in that bread and wine. The very price that was paid to redeem us so that we know we are his, forgiven forever. I can't understand it or explain it. I can only declare what the scriptures say. His body and blood is there. Other churches may not teach that. But that's what God says. And if that's what God says, then that's what it is. And this is what it does. It brings us forgiveness, life, and salvation. It restores us to that right relationship with God. It renews in us that spiritual life. And it rescues us from eternal death. My friends, we are saved by grace. And that's how you get it. So here's what we should do. Get grace. We find out now how God gives it to us. So get it. And look how it will change you. Paul writes, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. It will move us to be thankful and joyful people. And then when you get it, grow in it. Don't just let it sit. Let it grow in your life. That's what Peter urged. He wrote, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And as you have that grace in your life, then let it guide you. Guide you in your decisions, guide you in your actions and your thoughts. Paul wrote, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. And by all means, do not give it up, as some do, and replace it in, that in, instead with their own efforts, their own dedication. Paul writes, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And when you get it, give thanks. That's what grace will do in your life. Paul said the grace that is reaching more and more people will cause you, will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And that thanksgiving will be seen as you give it away. Because God so loved the world that he gave that gift of grace that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life my friends that's a firm foundation for our life saved by grace alone amen